You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Alejandro Zuniga here with me. We are at the hotel in Los Angeles, about ready later this uh, later today to head to Houston for the national championship. This episode is going to talk all about the Rose Bowl win, one of the most epic, impressive wins in Michigan football history, one of the most significant wins in Michigan football history, 27 to 20 over Alabama, number four team in the country, 27 to 20 in overtime. Really, we could probably talk for hours. We actually have because we've been writing about it for the last couple of days. I uh, could probably talk about this win for hours. We're going to try to get to the, the the big stuff. So some of the questions that we're going to talk, putting context on this win, is this the biggest win in our lifetimes? And where does this kind of stack up among the biggest wins in Michigan football history? We'll debate the MVP of the game, because I feel like there's a few different options you could go with. Uh, we'll talk about the biggest play of the game, biggest surprise from the game. And then obviously, we'll have a full Michigan-Washington preview. We might have multiple preview episodes to be honest with you uh, we'll we'll talk about the biggest question mark in this episode though from michigan side of things heading into next monday's matchup which is just crazy to think about that this felt like a true championship atmosphere it felt like a true championship buzz in the in the stadium rose bowl stadium lived up to the hype i wasn't sure if it would because it, it, it is so consistently hyped you know the granddaddy of them all everyone talks about the atmosphere the the views the setting, but man, it was one of the coolest settings in sports that I've experienced. And Alejandro, I know you were on the sidelines. We could probably, you could probably tell stories for days and days, but let's focus on the, on the true magnitude of this game. You and I are roughly the same age. I think we're about seven months apart. Where does this rank among the wins in our lifetime? I mean, really the only other ones I can think of that are close, they have 11 top five wins, but a lot of those didn't have championship stakes. There's a few wins over Ohio State that did, including, I guess, the last three uh, in a row. And then I know there were some in the 90s where they won. But but where do you think this stacks up? And I say lifetime just because that's what we know. But obviously, it's got to be among the top five in Michigan football history. When you think about how much more views college football gets now, how the bigger stakes, the fact that it was two championship caliber teams going up against each other. Really, one of the biggest wins in Michigan football history and one of the biggest wins we've seen. Yeah, it, I to, to be perfectly frank, I'm 30 years old. So that is the frame of mind that I have when talking about this game. Uh, but it, it certainly feels like one of, if not the biggest game, uh, biggest win I've seen Michigan accomplish. Um, the only one that really, in my mind, comes close is maybe the 21 Ohio State game. Yeah. The reason I, I say both of these is because both in their own way were like exercising demons. Uh, for, for 21 against Ohio State, of course, it was the streak of, of not winning that rivalry. And then when, when you beat Ohio State, that essentially was the Big Ten Championship. And it has been for the last three years. So, so that felt special in its own right. And it felt like a marker for the program in its own right. A return to 
what Michigan football is supposed to be, which is competing for Big Ten championships year in and year out and finally, finally getting over the hump. Uh, but this one feels bigger than that in, in a different way, right? If you think about the history of Michigan football, it, Michigan, of course, inaugurated the Rose Bowl. It, it made the Rose Bowl happen back in 1902 against Stanford. Michigan has been in the Rose Bowl more than any other Big Ten program that is about to change with USC joining, but they're, they've made the Rose Bowl more than all but one team, uh, USC. Uh, but really the tradition of Michigan football, of modern Michigan football, is the goal is to make it to the Rose Bowl, but more often than not, Michigan's losing the Rose Bowl, right? So I wrote earlier this fall about this being the golden era of Michigan football, uh, in modern Michigan football, certainly after Yost and, and Oosterbahn and all that. This feels like the the modern golden age of Michigan football. And with this win, with 27.2 million people watching, right? <laughs> One of the most watched sporting events of the last few years. They took a step beyond what Michigan football has historically been. They beat an SEC, an SEC program. You know, they, they beat the standard. Alabama came to Pasadena talking about how they were the standard and they were right. And now Michigan has beaten that to make it to a national championship. I think that you can certainly argue it and Michigan historians and the Michigan fan base certainly will. Uh, but in my mind, and maybe with a little bit of recency bias there, this does feel like the biggest win in modern Michigan football history. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think the big difference for me is the there there was the doubt in the game it wasn't a sure shot it wasn't a home game it wasn't a blowout i mean michigan has beaten higher ranked teams uh they have not always had to do so with a, a drive in the final five minutes of the game they have not always had to do so with the other crowd making noise you know i think that i think the biggest competitors for me are 2021 michigan ohio state that was not it was a close game for much of the game but michigan was able to kind of pull away it was at home it was a breakthrough, and I do think that was maybe a bigger upset than this one was because at this, at, you know, Michigan, Alabama. Sure, there's a team talent composite difference, but Michigan's rolling, right? They've got their pieces in place. They've got, you know, this is not a a surprise. Anyone who was surprised by Michigan winning on on Monday uh, probably just didn't pay attention to Michigan this season, to be frank, or they paid a lot of attention because they, you know, root for a rival team or something. So 2021, I think, is up there. I think 97, you know, you and I were not, I mean, we were three years old, but, you you know, number four, Ohio State comes into town. And that that had a similar stakes, though, because back then there wasn't a playoff. And so that was your season. If, if Ohio State came and beat you, uh, you were done. And so it kind of a, a weird, different dynamic, but, you know, that was opportunity Michigan uh, had to, to finish their regular season undefeated, win the Big Ten, and advance to the Rose Bowl with a national championship still at stake. So I, it, it, similar stakes, but that game, again, at home, and I would also add um, they were up 20 to nothing in the game. You know, it was, it was a great win, certainly not taken away, but I think, you know, when you think about the magnitude, sometimes to me it's also like, okay, what was the tension during the game? Was it going back and forth or were you just kind of holding off a top five team that you were better than? So I think in that sense, I think this is up there. I mean, my goodness, it's uh that just doesn't get much bigger period. I mean, I guess if they had faced Alabama in the Rose bowl in the national championship, 
I mean, I know you and I were joking. They should just have Michigan and Washington play here Run it back, <laughs> instead of Houston. Uh, save us the flight. But also, I think both fan bases would be fired up about that. So, so yeah, uh, really, really impressive win. And, and again, I think away from home, I know there were a lot of Michigan fans there, but I think that adds to the degree of difficulty. And then I think the fact that Alabama played very well and was had a lead. You know, I've seen, even in this 39-3 and run, we were kind of, racking our brains outside maybe that Illinois game, which was weird for a few different reasons, a lot of injuries. And I think Michigan was maybe took Illinois a little lightly, yada, yada. There haven't been a ton of times where they really had to like fight back. And the the few times that they did, they actually came up short on those kind of drives that they did score on, on Monday. Let's turn our attention to maybe the individual side of it. Cause I think there's so many potential MVP, so many, I guess Jim Harbaugh would call them legendary status players, you know, whether it's unsung heroes stepping up, players who were in a you know, potential X factors for this game that we, including a couple that we mentioned, uh, stepping up as well as the stars looking like stars against the Crimson Tide. Thinking about most valuable player, who you got? Who are you? Who are you picking? Well, well, the the two official most valuable players were JJ McCarthy on offense and Mason Graham on defense. It's hard to argue against either of those two, uh, but I was really surprised that Blake Corum wasn't the guy up there. Yeah, just given given how he appeared in not every play, but most of the biggest plays of the game. Right, you know, he was the guy who scored Michigan's first touchdown, leaking out of the backfield and and catching a pass in the flat, jogging into the end zone. Right, he's the guy who went on fourth and two when Michigan's season is on the line. It's a similar type design where. He is leaking out of the backfield and no one on Alabama is following him. It is, we have not seen Blake used in the past game a whole lot this year, uh, but Sherrod Moore, the, the play caller, dialed it up at the perfect time a couple times. Uh, and then, of course, you have, you have the two runs in overtime, both of which were incredibly impressive in their own right. Uh, but that go-ahead touchdown, what ended up being the game-winning touchdown, I mean, if that run doesn't exemplify Blake Corum or exemplify this Michigan offense, that I think there are a few plays that that would exemplify Michigan more than that. Uh, Blake Corum has been the heart and soul of this team for a long time. You know the jump cut that he makes in the backfield. He's got hmm. a regap. Colston Loveland is getting shoved. You know he he's pushed two yards back off the line, uh, and Corum has to regap around him. And then you've got Carson Barnhart, who who's been criticized in some ways rightfully so uh, for some of his performances this year, Uh, but a guy who moved from tackle to guard after his inter's injury, he's the player who's pulling and getting to the second level and clearing out that lane for Blake Corum. And and then it's, I believe it's Cornelius Johnson who comes in and gets one last block in around the goal line. Um, But the the run is made by Corum. Um, And for me, if I'm picking an MVP of the game, it's him, both for what he means to this program, what he meant to the program on Monday night against Alabama, uh, and then just the number of plays he made. But just about the only thing he did wrong was was that pitch back on the flea flicker. But even that's a little bit excusable because he had a guy in his face. Uh, so for, for me, he's the guy. I I would love to pick someone on the, on the defensive end uh, just because the defense came up clutch so Go many for times. it. We'll do an I, offense and I defense. Just, there's just yeah. so many. There are just so many, uh, right? I, I think one guy who I think maybe doesn't get talked about enough for what he did in that game was Rod Moore. Hmm. Um, two plays that really stood out to me. I was not shocked, but 
close to it. Very surprised that Alabama didn't take more deep shots. Uh, I think one reason for that is because Michigan was able to get so much pressure on yeah. Jalen Milrow that there just wasn't enough time for that to develop. But the one deep shot they did take, uh, it was Rod Moore who made that pass breakup. Yeah, that was a first half. And then really a play of the game that probably doesn't get talked about enough is in overtime when Jalen Milrow scrambles. It's Rod Moore who makes the tackle at about the five-yard line that saves a touchdown. And that's when the closing sequence happens um, without that tackle in space against the most dynamic offensive player on Alabama's team. We don't get the, we don't get the fourth down stop. We don't get the Mason Graham TFL that sets that up. Uh, so Rod Moore for me, uh, but there are so many names you could pick up, you, you could pick from, but he made two really impressive plays. Probably doesn't get talked about enough. So I just wanted to give him that shout out. Yeah, on offense, I, I have a very hard time going against Blake Corum. I mean, that, that run alone, not to mention, as you, you know, the two pass catches, the, the other gritty runs, Alabama didn't give up very much. You know, I was talking about it right before we hit record. Michigan had 23 rushing yards on 11 carries between the tackles. I mean, this was not some game where they were just mowing Alabama down, but, but you know, the, Blake Corum was able to get to the outside and, and uh, you know, fight for his yards. I feel like he earned a lot, high percentage of his rushing yards. So, I have no issue with him. I'll go. I'll, I'll just make the the pitch for JJ McCarthy though, because I think, I think his degree of difficulty was extremely high too. Everyone in the stadium was like, "Uh oh!" As soon as he threw that would be interception on the first play. I mean, everyone was thinking about last year. Uh, they were thinking about his struggles against Georgia as well. You know, the two pick sixes against TCU, and everyone's like, "Oh." Oh boy, you know, I'm sure the whole planet has seen that graphic that ESPN did, which a uh, little, little um, narrative, narratively framed, I guess is how I would put it, about how he has struggled down the stretch, leaving out plenty of context uh, to, to those numbers. But, you know, there is, it was a narrative that he had to fight, and then he throws an interception right away. And, and Jim Harbaugh was talking about it on a teleconference today, you know, if that play happens, I mean, that's in his experience. It's like a train coming. It's, you know, all of a sudden you've got the, the red siren going off and, and it's, it's hard to recalibrate, but he did. And it, it wasn't immediate. It didn't feel like he had, you know, a picture perfect game by any stretch. There were throws that I, I would say throughout the season he has been more accurate on. But I think there were a couple things that really impressed me. One, very, very, very good under pressure. Six for 10, 106 yards, one touchdown. Not a lot of quarterbacks are doing that with, with uh, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell kind of barreling down, Deontay Lawson, you know, he was he was making throws in the face of things. And then and then I also think he did a great job spreading the ball around. This was not a game where he was able to to lean on Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, or even Colston Loveland that much. I mean, he you know, they all had they all made plays, especially in the second half, but you know, I think this was a game where he had to find a Tyler Morris. He had to find Blake Corum, he, I mean, there were, there were other players just because of Alabama's cornerbacks are so good, <laughs> you know, and their safety, uh, Caleb Downs lived up to the hype too. I didn't, I didn't feel like Alabama was like exposed, but McCarthy was able only one pass attempt, uh, more than 19 yards downfield and 19 of his 27 pass attempts were less than 10 yards down the field. So he wasn't making the same throw as Michael Penix was making later in the day. But at the same time, I think he did a really nice job seeing the field. I, I mentioned that as a key before the game, using the whole passing arsenal. 
in his first 14 pass attempts, he targeted eight different players. And six different Michigan players had multiple receptions in the games. Some of that scheme, some of that's the receivers stepping up. I, I thought it was their best game of the season. But also, I do think J.J. McCarthy deserves a lot of credit um, for just playing the game. As you know, if, if Alabama's defense is doing A, you're trying to figure out how to counter it. And if you know the the double pass to you is high, just make the catch and then make the, the catch of the game. Make the throw. He might have. He might have. And and just make the catch. Make the throw. You know, just figure it out. And I feel like you know the the tip pass. I guess that's not necessarily. It's not like he knew it was going to be tipped, but at the same time, I think the throw was placed in a way that it, it could still be caught. You know, the fourth down play. I would say uh, coordinators probably could deserve MVP honors. I, f- I thought that was a extremely well called game on both offense and defense for Michigan. A lot of a lot of trust in the players. I feel like it was was the common theme between the two coordinators' performance. Jesse Minter and Sharon Moore, but JJ McCarthy three touchdown passes. And just yeah, a lot of a lot of what I would call heads up plays. Whether it was under pressure, whether you know his first couple reads weren't open, it did feel like he was able to find a way, find a way to win the game. You know, he talks about that all the time. He doesn't really care about the stats. He didn't come to Michigan to put up crazy good stats. He came to Michigan to win football games. So hats off to him. He's he's done that better than anybody at Michigan ever. <laughs> now to what twenty seven and one as a starter, just just incredible stuff. So defensive MVP, again, I'm with you. I think you can go in 50 different directions. I think felt like every different player, backup starters, underclassmen, upperclassmen, stepped up and made plays. I think I think the player who impressed me the most, maybe was the most valuable, was, was Braden McGregor. Two sacks, um, two big sacks, including what, on the very first defensive play. You know, we'll talk about in a few moments, like the, the fast starts, but boy, how big was that to like just, calm Michigan down a little bit, maybe get the crowd to like relax and, and enjoy it again. Cause there's all this buildup and then Michigan kind of stumbles out of the gate and then Braden McGregor has the big sack. And, and we talked about before the game, I, I circled Josiah Stewart as someone to, you know, count as an X factor. Uh, I might have overlooked Braden McGregor, to be honest with you. I thought he played a really nice game and, you know, for a backup, I mean, I know they rotate pretty heavily. And so backup is maybe in quotation marks there, but, for him to step up and have the game of his life, uh, one, very helpful for Michigan, you know, when you think about the value that that pass rush had in the game. Uh, two, got to be happy for him. I mean, this was a this was a guy who grew up in Port Huron. Uh, he had the picture of Charles Woodson with the rose between his teeth on his wall growing up. You know, I think at one point he has joked with us in press conferences about how he would get into into fights on the school playgrounds, you know, with Michigan state fans. I mean, this is a, this is a true blue Michigan fan lifer um, who's getting to live his dream and play the game of his life in the, in a Rose bowl win over Alabama. I mean, that's, and, and he's also had some big plays against Ohio state. So, and, and I think by now it's pretty well documented his injury history in his senior year of high school and, and kind of arriving to Michigan, knowing that it would take a while to rehab. So credit to him. I don't know if he would necessarily be the the true like snap to snap best player in the game, but two sacks in the Rose Bowl and and you know playing some stand up football in, in other rounds as well jumped out to me as a potential MVP. We're gonna hit a quick break on the other side. We'll dig into this game a little bit more, including topics about biggest play of the game, biggest surprise from the game, and biggest question mark 
that Michigan needs to answer before they take on Washington next week. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. So Alejandro, I think you and I will have different answers for this one. I don't think there'll be overlap. Your biggest play in the game, there were so many, and I'm sure event, between the two of us will list probably most of them. But but the one that if you if you had to tell someone this this was the the only play you get to watch from this game, what's what's the one that you're picking to to kind of define this game for the Wolverines? I mean, it's got to be the Blake Corum touchdown, the the game winner. Um, I already talked about that in the previous segment, so I, I, I'm not going to – I'll switch my answer. Um, but if it's only one play you get to watch, it's got to be that one. Like that's the one, if you are choosing one play from this game that's going to go down in Michigan lore forever, it will be that touchdown. That being said, because I don't want to repeat that answer, it's one I wrote about. I'm going to touch on Roman Wilson and his okay. flying catch on the tip ball. And the reason I mentioned that is that I was standing in the Michigan end zone, right in front of the Michigan fans, right in front of the Michigan bench, the band. And for so much of the second half of the game, it's not that they weren't into it. It's not that it's not that it wasn't an awesome atmosphere, but they didn't really believe. And I, I don't think I really believe that that Michigan even had a shot to come back until that moment. Hmm. And Listen, what makes the Rose Bowl, what makes sports so special is that so much changes in an instant. And so many little, just it's a game of inches as they say, but it's just, it's these instants. And everyone in the stadium, and I'm sure everyone on TV watching it, had that moment where J.J. McCarthy winds up and throws the ball. And I didn't see it was tipped. I didn't realize it was tipped until I saw the, the replays. I don't even know if Roman after. realized it was tipped. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I think he was just seeing ball and getting ball. <laughs> right. But so what you see, like, and I took AP physics like 15 years ago, but it's like you're seeing this parabola of a ball that's like flying through the darkening sky in Pasadena, and you're calculating like where that's going to drop, and you see Roman Wilson, who is listed at six foot, but he is not the biggest receiver. He is certainly very athletic, and you're just doing that mental calculus of what's going to happen. And then you see there are two Alabama defenders right around Roman Wilson, and both of them are in perfect position to intercept the ball. So like all of these things, and in a split second, you realize either Roman Wilson catches this or Alabama wins. And there's kind of no in between there. Either Roman Wilson makes the catch of his life, or Alabama gets the ball back, and there is no guarantee that Michigan gets another shot. And yeah, Roman Wilson says, listen, I, he saw it. He says he jumped. He was going to try to one-hand it, then realized he could go up with the second hand too and said, God kept me up there to make the catch. And whether you know whether it's God or physics or luck, what, some combination, who knows. But he makes the catch, he lands, and he has the presence of mind somehow to cut up field and get – deep into Alabama territory. They score two plays later. I mean, in terms of game changing, if there's one biggest play in the game, it's the Blake Corum touchdown. If there's one iconic play, for me, it's that. But if there is one where just the game was on a pinpoint and could have tipped one way or the other, and Roman Wilson made sure it tipped Michigan's way with that catch. Yeah, I like the pick. I like the pick. I will disagree. So at that point, Michigan had 
the ball on Alabama's 34-yard line, right? And there was 219 to go. So definitely a tense situation, but it being a first down, kind of feel like Michigan could have figured it out. When I didn't think Michigan could have figured it out was fourth and two, all the way back on, what, their 33-yard line? And there's a little bit more time left, but, boy, clock was ticking, and they, they complete the 35-yard 30, pass to Blake Corum, the, the Roman Wilson penalty, because the ironic part about Roman Wilson's catch is that came right after he told the team, I'm going to go make up a play to make up for my blocking in the back penalty. The world's most obvious block in the back penalty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he understood, and and I think I think it says a lot about his team. I, you know, we asked him, like, oh, what was it like going back? And and he said they, they'd already forgiven me. We were good. And I think that says a lot about a veteran team. You know, I think there's... A lot of people, when they talk about seniors, they talk about like the desperation, the playing for the end of your career. And that plays a big role. But, you know, when I was talking to the players in the locker room after the game, I think the common theme I came up with was this team really trusts each other. They trust each other to make plays. And if they make a mistake, they trust each other to make a better play the next time. Uh, There isn't a lot of reason for finger pointing, a lot of need for blame games or, or getting stressed. You know, I think there was a lot of trust. But before they got into Alabama territory and before they were kind of in scoring position, they needed a first down. They had 44 yards on their first four drives of the second half. And then they come out there down a touchdown, less than five minutes to go, run for four yards, run for four yards, incomplete pass. And it's fourth and two. They're deep in their own territory. You know, Jesse Minter was saying after the game, and even Jack Harbaugh was saying after the game, they would have punted because you, you just let your defense make a stop and then maybe you try again. But I think it's fair. I, I agree with the sentiment of they probably needed it there. You know, if you're not getting it there, then you're getting it back with like a minute and a half. Like that's a little too much desperation. You're two yards from a first down. If you can't get it now, you might just not have it within you in the offense. And, and you know, Trevor Keegan was telling his teammates, we just need to get a first down and then, and then we can start rolling. And then they did. Blake Quorum caught the pass. I mean, the, the true like quality of the play Definitely less than the Roman Wilson one, right? He was wide open. It was a good read by J.J. McCarthy. Pretty good play call, too. I think I got to think Alabama was thinking run, and then as soon as it was passed, I don't think they were thinking Blake Corum as the threat. No, I think Michigan they were, had a lot of those tendency breaks. I, I, I think they were thinking tight end uh, or, or maybe a screen look. But, but, yeah, so they found Blake Corum, and, you know, he made it 35 yards. It was before the penalty. I think it was the biggest play Michigan had made all game. So... To me, that's that's the winner. Uh, that's the that's what changed the game from Michigan on its heels on its last literal could have been like last offensive play because Alabama would have been in scoring position. I'm sure they could have just run, 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 get a first down or two, kneel it out. Uh, that's to me that was when it flipped from Alabama sensing blood in the water to Michigan sensing blood in the water. So to me, that was that was a play game. Kind of crazy that we're both, we, we've mentioned three plays. Neither of us pit, picked the defensive fourth down stop. Another really impressive play. Another, I guess, high pressure play. I think that is something that, that is something that really plays a role in this game. I, I said, I think it might when I did my prediction, right? You know, that the, the stakes feel even, they feel double, triple what they do in a normal game for these players. And that's where I felt like Michigan, having a lot of seniors, having a lot of experienced players who have, uh, played in a lot of these types of games before could help. And I feel like, you know, man, fourth, fourth, fourth and goal, three yard line, Alabama's three yards from tying this game. And, 
And I kind of, I do think Michigan was kind of aware if that game goes into second overtime, whatever they had built, just kind of, it, it, it would have been hard to sustain the momentum, I think. But yeah, fourth and fourth and game, fourth and season for Alabama and Michigan's able to get the stop. I mean, how about Josiah Stewart? Boy, what, what a bull rush that was. And then, and then, uh, you know, you, the defensive linemen did their job. Uh, Derek Moore did his job. A good play call, right? The, the twister, cover zero, rushing six. Because I, I do kind of wonder, we, we'll never know. Alabama will never admit it. But I do kind of wonder if Milrow was supposed to go. Because you kind of see him, like, jut a little bit to the left. Mike Sainer still is right there. And then you kind of see, I felt like I saw his head tilt to the right. And Michael Barrett was right there. And so suddenly he's like, all right, got to go up the middle. But... Michigan's defensive line, as as they did all game, you know, was there to make the stop. So that that was a pretty big play too. I mean, you know, it was, it was the walk off. How often does your defense? I mean, defensive players dream for moments like that. So so to come up big, not the play call I would have done. I would have maybe tried to get Miller on the perimeter, try to like create some conflict with the linebackers and, and defensive backs, leave the pass play open potentially. But it doesn't really matter what they called because Michigan stopped it. So walk off, stop. All right, so a lot of this game, I think, went how we projected. I think before the game, I mentioned pass protection as a potential weak point for Alabama. We had mentioned the cornerbacks for Alabama being pretty good. You know, a lot of the, I guess, individual matchups or position versus position group or the statistical things actually kind of translated onto the field. I didn't feel like it was like, uh, whoa, who's this guy for either team? Maybe Tyler Morris with the 38-yard touchdown. Uh, I don't I don't know if Alabama had a lot written on him in film, but what was your biggest surprise from the game? I, I think my biggest surprise was and this isn't necessarily a, a diss on these players specifically, but I was I came into this game not sure how Michigan's secondary would hold up against Alabama receivers. And I think that in part comes from remembering the Citrus Bowl, right, back in twenty twenty when and I mean, certainly that was a different Alabama team and the, the folks on that roster are NFL stars. I mean, well, maybe not NFL stars in this case, but you think Jerry Judy, you know, you think Jalen Waddell, you know, as a running back, Najee Harris, like, you know, those types of people. And, and this Alabama is not that Alabama. But that being said, all season, I've been thinking to myself, like, Michigan had so many questions in their secondary coming into the season especially at that second corner spot. You know, you've got Josh Wallace coming in, making the jump up, that up transfer from UMass, and not a good UMass team. No UMass team is a very good UMass team, to be fair, but a very bad UMass program and making the up transfer to Big Ten. And how did he do in the Big Ten? Well, he did very well. But it comes to the end of the year, and it's Ohio State, and then it's Alabama. And I thought to myself, well, this is going to be the game where a guy like Josh Wallace is going to get exposed. I thought, you know, we, you just touched on Josiah Stewart. I thought, listen, we heard all all season, all fall camp about, yeah, he's small. But small, you know, low guy wins. He still gets leverage. He can still win the rep. And I thought to myself, okay, that's great. But when it comes to Alabama, what's that going to look like? But for me, I mean, the biggest surprise, it's it's just the secondary, you know, it's it's Josh Wallace, Josh Wallace, who makes a form tackle to to prevent Jermaine Burton from scoring on third and goal from the fourteen yard line right before the the walk off you know defensive stop right form tackle Josh Wallace who recovers the fumble 
uh, forced by Quentin Johnson. You know, it was a lot of these guys who, listen, Josh Wallace, Quentin Johnson, Keon Sab, those guys made some of the biggest plays in the game. And I, I don't think at the beginning of the year, if I told you that those are the players on the field against Alabama, that Michigan fans would have been super excited about, you know, oh, it's going to go fantastic. Uh, but they shut down in Alabama. Passing attack, certainly the defensive line, the pressure on Milrow played a, a major, major role in that. Uh, but Jermaine Burton, four catches, 21 yards. That's less than his season average for a single reception, right? Isaiah Bond, four receptions, 47 yards. Jalen Milrow finished the game, what, 16 of 23 for 116 yards, averaging five yards. Like that's, I didn't expect the most from Milrow as a passer. We know he's not like the most polished in that aspect, but I did expect them to be able to hit a couple deep shots. I expected Alabama to, to maybe have the advantage a little bit, at least in some spots, find some weak spots, find some matchups that they would exploit through the air. And they were just unable to do that play after play after play. Um, and that really, really impressed me. And it bodes well for Michigan heading into a Washington matchup that's going to test them through the air a lot more. Yeah, yeah, definitely a huge key. I mean, you could argue the bar none, the biggest key in next week's matchup. I, I think I think that was a good one, yeah, because you're right. It, it was midway through the game. I'm like, man, we really haven't heard these different defensive backs' names called, but it's because they were doing their jobs, yeah. right? And, and, and credit to Michigan's defensive line, I think that really helps. I mean, Milrow, anytime he dropped back for like an extended period of time, it felt like he was under pressure, and so... Alabama had to adjust. They went way more run heavy, a lot more kind of short passes, which is not quite Milrose game. So it's just as Michigan rose to the occasion, I think there were a couple areas where Alabama did not rise to the occasion. I think the biggest surprise to me, I mentioned him as an X factor, or I meant to trench a Jones as an X factor, but the whole offensive line and pass protection uh, really jumped out to me. They allowed 10 pressures which is a lot for J.J. McCarthy attempting 27 passes. Didn't allow a sack, though. And and I don't feel like like there's there's pressures that quarterbacks can handle and then there's pressures that they can't, you know, that, that, that alter the play. And I didn't feel like Michigan let up a lot of, like, ones where J.J. McCarthy had to alter what he was doing or change his his game plan or change his approach or, or take, take off running. I don't even think he did take off scrambling on a designed pass. And I feel like that that was a big deal because this was an Alabama team that was 13th nationally heading into this game in sacks per game. They were ninth nationally in pro football focuses pass rushing grade. And so this was kind of like a similar caliber to a Penn State or or some of the other top teams Michigan's played this year. And I felt like Michigan held up really well. And Trent A. Jones, I mentioned him just a moment ago, he allowed one pressure, you know, right tackle against a defensive front that has Dallas Turner, Braswell, Deontay Lawson. I mean, they they produced a ton of pressure all season on the edge position. Uh, Turner and Braswell alone had 106 pressures entering this game. Now, Ladarius Henderson, I think there were a couple plays where he kind of felt it. But at the same time, I'll give him credit. I don't think he had, like, blow-bys. I think it was just a tough matchup to cumulatively make over and over. And so... McCarthy was under pressure, but I don't feel like he was like under strong duress. And Trent A. Jones just straight up didn't allow a lot of pressure. In fact, out of the hundreds and hundreds 
of players who have or of offensive tackles with at least 100 pass blocking snaps this season. He is number one in the country in pass blocking efficiency. In 118 snaps, he's allowed one pressure all season. So, yeah, just really, I mean, kind of crazy that he was the number seven offensive lineman to start the year. And I don't know, maybe he still is the number seven, right? Because there's the injuries, there's there's things like that. But, you know, we've heard for years, I, I remember talking about it in 2019, 2020, about his footwork, his athleticism gave him an extremely high ceiling, maybe the highest ceiling among the offensive linemen. I mean, I remember Andrew Stuber told me that he was the most athletic lineman on, on the team. And so credit to him, fifth year guy, wasn't even necessarily a starter for much of his fifth fifth year, did not... I guess lose motivation did not stop trying to get better and better. And sure enough, uh, you know, we talk about money games. I don't know. We'll see. It sure looked like sure looked like NFL scouts uh, would be impressed by what he showed in the Rose Bowl. So not just him, the whole offensive line I thought was pretty impressive. But I think of all the things that transpired on Monday, I think that's the one that I, I would have predicted last. Although I will say, if there's one critique, and maybe this leads into your biggest question for next week, never in a million years did I think a Jim Harbaugh coach team would almost lose the game multiple in multiple ways on special teams. I mean, that is that's been a cornerstone of Harbaugh's Michigan teams. I mean, not even just the like good returners, good kickers, but like good coverage, good, you know, heads up plays. You know, even if they don't make the big play, they always make the smart play. I don't know where that went. They left, they must have left it in Michigan. <laughs> that was that was just brutal. I mean, across the board, multiple uh, one muff punt, multiple misplayed punts, a near disaster. Now, I will say, you know, Jake Thaw deserves credit for doing what he needed to do to prevent that from being a safety. And Alabama does have good specialists. They their punter leads the nation in hang time. Their kicker leads the nation in kicks of fifty yards or more, or at least in percentage. He has, he's five for five on kicks of fifty yards or more. I mean, that's just. He's all-American caliber punter, all-American caliber kicker. So definitely a tough challenge. But, man, if you're thinking about, like, heading into this matchup, what's the biggest surprise? Uh, it's got to be that. I mean, it, Michigan was able to win, but it kind of won in spite of its special teams. Yeah, it felt like a part of what makes college football special is that these aren't professional athletes, and you get some of the wackiness and the craziness in, in a lot of games. You don't necessarily expect it on the biggest stage, like the Rose Bowl, where these are excellent, two excellent football teams. But it felt like both sides uh, had had a little bit of it, right? It was with Michigan, every time there was a a punting event, it's like a special teams event, you thought, uh-oh, like what's going to happen now? And then on the Alabama side, I mean, I, I know he's had problems all year, but the the center, I just, I couldn't believe how, Felt like drive after drive, there was a possession in the third quarter where Alabama. Was You're the Alabama the Crimson Tide. How yeah. how do you not have a center who can snap the ball? That's I mean, <laughs> you get the pick of the litter of the best linemen in the country every single year. It, my goodness, and, and I mean, you, you talk about the last play of the game. Like we know, you know, we don't know exactly what the play would have been or might have been, or you know, maybe they had different plays called. There were like three timeouts before the actual play is run. Uh, but how does the play look if he gets a clean snap, if Milro gets a clean snap and is able to keep his eye on the line and, you know, decide where he wants to go with the ball? It just, yeah, that's certainly something, you know, and talking about Washington, I mean, they had their own special teams miscue in their semifinals. So that's, 
that's going to be something that is probably circled by both teams. Um, NRG Stadium, I believe, is indoors. Um, so, you know, that will potentially make things easier. Uh, but, yeah, for, for how exciting and for how iconic of a game the Rose Bowl was, uh, there were things from both sides, from both teams, that just – it just – it was surprising to see, uh, especially on the Michigan side that has had – a very good year on special teams. And honestly, like that's been a hallmark of the program under Jay Harbaugh for these last few years. It has, I I will say, I think there, the special teams has been good in some areas this year. I think punting has been a strength. I think kicking has been a strength. I don't know if Michigan's punt return team has Mm -hmm. ever once this season had Michigan fans like relaxed because they've, they've alternated between different players. I think, Tyler Morris, uh, Jake Thaw, Samaj Morgan. Doesn't seem like they have quite found the person who checks all the boxes at punt return. And and it just feels like tracking the ball feels like a little bit of an adventure. Even the ones that they did catch on, on Monday, it just felt like, I, I don't know if the lighting was weird in the Rose Bowl or what, but or if people need you know, contact lenses, or I, I don't know what the solution is. It's, it's a lot easier. I mean, p- catching punts is objectively hard. I, I would argue it's one of the harder things, uh, skill wise to do in sports, just because you do have, you hear the footsteps, you do have to track the ball. There's the crowd, there's the wind, the spin, you know, all, all the different factors, but similar, I suppose, if we're being honest, similar to our Alabama center problem, you're Alabama, you should have a center who can snap the ball in week 14. You're Michigan. You got plenty of skill players. You got plenty of uh, great special teams players. You know, it's week 14. Where's your punt returner? And what, what what do they do when the ball is about to land at the four-yard line? You know, what's the, the approach? So um, it is what it is. I mean, they won the game, right? And and I think at, at some point you do have to just kind of accept, like, you know, find a way to win. Find a way to win. Speaking of that, We'll dig a little bit more. I still haven't done like my deep dive into Washington just yet. I've seen a good amount of games this year. Uh, but Alejandro, your biggest question mark that Michigan has to figure out between now and Monday to go out there and win a national championship. Yeah, I think you've got to start motivationally. And I think that's really the biggest, the my biggest immediate concern for Michigan in the aftermath of the Rose Bowl was seeing how exuberant the celebrations were, not just from the fan base, but also from the players and the coaches and the staff, uh, a lot of them. It's, uh, it reminded me a lot of, of the 2021 season when Michigan was beating Ohio State and winning the Big Ten Championship game for the first time, and then going to the Georgia game, going to the Orange Bowl for the college football playoff. Felt like it was extra and felt like, not that it didn't matter or anything like that, but when Michigan won the Big Ten for the first time, and players talked about this last year in 22, but when they won in 21, it, it was like they'd accomplished their goals and that they had done what they had set out to do. So, you know, I don't think that with more motivation, they beat Georgia in 2021. Uh, but I think that might've played a bit of a factor as to why that game was so lopsided. And I feel that way a little bit following the Rose Bowl is that we talked about at the opening of this show of how special it was to win the Rose bowl, how that might've been the greatest victory in, you know, in decades or maybe in modern Michigan football or in our lifetimes, certainly in these players lifetimes, I can imagine, right. These are our 20 year olds. They weren't around for the, Oh my goodness. They weren't around for that 1997 season in any capacity. 
So how do you go from that with a couple difficult days of travel and getting yourself, gearing yourself up for what's going to be an equally challenging game against an equally talented, if not more talented opponent? Washington has the same challenges. Washington has the same travel. You know, they're going from central time to, you know, the Pacific Northwest and back. But for me, it's motivational. And and when we talked to them this morning, the players themselves hadn't really started diving in that closely into Washington either. Uh, but we know how much, especially with, you know, with college students and, and student athletes, how much motivation plays a factor yeah. into how games play out. And you just have to think that, after getting over the hump. I mean, it's not that you're not going to be motivated uh, for the national championship game. If you're, if you're not motivated for that, you're, you're playing the wrong sport. Maybe you shouldn't be playing sports at all, (laughs) Uh, but you've got to think like the, the need, the urgency, you know, the desperation that I'm sure Michigan players felt after three, after two years of losing college football games, after college football playoff games, after three years of winning the big 10, uh, the desperation they must have felt against Alabama, will that be there in Houston in a few days? Yeah, I think that's a huge concern. I don't think it's a, I don't, not, not necessarily predicting that it will be a problem, but I think if you're Michigan, whether you admit it publicly or not, I mean, you have to make sure that this team recalibrates and understands that they could lose. I think I mentioned before the game in the preview podcast, I felt like Michigan got a gift playing Alabama because Alabama is a team that doesn't matter what they're seeded doesn't matter if they lost in September, they can beat you. They can and will. And they've, they've ended so many, you know, championship caliber seasons. So I think that reality helped Michigan in terms of the motivation, in terms of understanding, not, not, you know, everyone's motivated for the Rose Bowl, right? But there is, can you find that extra edge? Whether it's a random rainy Tuesday morning when you're having to do film review, whether it's a practice where, you know, you're sprinting instead of running hard. Um, you know, it's just it's just about finding it. And, and there's a little less buildup to this game. It's a little bit more, you know, you can still get better, but you're not going to change your game plan. You're not going to install new things. I mean, it's, it's similar to a regular season where you have a week later. But I, I think Washington, a little, I get a little bit of TCU vibe, not, not from not comparing the two teams, but in terms of, They've played a lot of close games. They definitely have looked human against some some bad teams this season. And we heard from Michigan players, they came about as close as you can actually say to objectively saying it, uh, that they overlooked TCU last year. Again, I, I don't think they were unmotivated, but I think that they were, the hunger level was different from TCU versus Michigan. And so I think that's that's absolutely something to keep in mind. I think it's absolutely something to to think about I think the biggest question mark I have outside of that is the strong starts or the bad starts and, and kind of the mental mistakes that I saw on Monday. I, I, some of them I don't think will happen twice, but, but Washington's been in a lot of close games this year. If this is a back and forth, you know, if, if Michigan's behind or whatever, I, I, I feel like Washington, maybe even more so than Alabama, has the grit and the maturity and the ability to withstand the pressure. And Michigan showed a gr- showed all three of those things in droves on Monday. I mean, they gritty win, high pressure win, mature win. You know, they they overcame the mistakes, but when you're thinking about 
Washington and the way that they can just their passing attack can just go off out of nowhere. And I didn't watch a ton of the Texas Washington game just because we were reporting uh, from Rose Bowl Stadium. But from what I was able to gather, it sounds like both teams had a lot of mental mistakes, but Washington was able to kind of overcome theirs and, and make the, the bigger plays when they needed to. So, you know, I think the particularly in the first quarter, I don't want to say they can't overcome it because they literally just did against Alabama. And we don't know if Alabama's better than Washington. We, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff we don't really know. This is a 14-0 team. This is a team that has been overlooked, viewed as an underdog, a lot of people have had negative things to say about them all season, and they have won every single game. Doesn't matter what was going on, what the weather was, what the situation was, who the opponent was. They have beaten, or they've won four games against teams in the top 10 in the 24-7 sports team talent composite. You know, we talk a lot, of, a lot about how Michigan's disproving the Stars matter narrative, when they, the way they beat Ohio State, the way they just beat Alabama. But Washington is doing it too. Oregon. Way better recruits. Beat them twice. USC, way better recruits. Beat them. Texas, way better recruits. Beat them. And so I think I think when I look at Washington, I, I see a lot of similarities to Michigan where I think both teams are 14-0 and for a reason. Both teams were, Michigan was preseason number two. Washington was preseason top 10. But at the same time, I think they were, they were often discredited uh, they were often against teams that people perceived to be better or have the advantage, and they found a way to win no matter what happened in those games. So when I think about Michigan's slow start, I'm kind of like, well, you know, if that happens again, Washington's pretty mature. They're gonna, they've got a lot of parallels to Michigan. Uh, you don't want to give them free points. So that's, to me, that's the biggest question mark: is how do you make sure the team is is mentally calibrated to prepare for the game, but also isn't coming out as stiff, awkward as they did in the Rose Bowl. I mean, it was, Alejandro, you were on the field. I don't know if you were able to catch anything, but that was about as nightmarish of a start as imaginable. You, J.J. McCarthy throws an interception on his first throw. It gets taken away, so I guess that's a benefit. And the defense did get a couple sacks on that first series, but then Samaj Morgan fumbles it, and then the defense gives up a big play a couple plays later for a touchdown. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not nothing. And in some ways, I think Michigan is lucky that Alabama had so many miscues that they couldn't fully capitalize on Michigan's slow start. Yeah, it was, it was shades of the TCU game in a lot of ways, where it just yep. felt like the TCU game, uh, Michigan was the more talented team. Um, I mean, TCU won that game fair and square. No, uh, no relitigating that. TCU won and deserved to win, uh, but Michigan couldn't get out of its own way in that game. And right. That's how it felt at the beginning uh, beginning of the Alabama game is that uh, the the near interception that that almost if not for for uh, the safety stepping out of bounds Caleb Downs uh, would have been uh, and then the defense does its part a couple sacks on the opening possession you think okay um, settle things down and then the Samaj fumble uh, the the muff on that on that punt um, certainly it took a bit that that first touchdown drive I thought was just so key and. You could see the emotion. Jim Harbaugh is not often an emotional person. He is an emotional person on the sidelines, but he's not a, a cheering person on the sidelines. He's not usually one to, to be going nuts happily on the <laughs> sideline. It's usually a bit of frustration or disgust or stress or whatever. <laughs> um, but you could see his demeanor, the way he interacted, reacted with J.J. McCarthy after that opening touchdown to Blake Corum, after you know Michigan even the score, 
that really it felt like took a lot of the weight off off the shoulders uh, of the Michigan football team. And you saw it for the rest of the first half is Michigan really was able to control the game for, for much of the rest of the first half. Um, obviously things tightened up uh, after halftime, but um, it was, it was an emotional game. Uh, it's why, it's why you love sports. It's why you love college football uh, and few better emotions than being on the field with an awesome crowd. I mean, to, <laughs> to hear, we've talked about this a ton, but uh, to hear Dixieland delight, right? That was cool. That was oh, cool. I mean, it was it was fun. It was like it was very much like a jump around, Mr. Brightside yeah. for Michigan. It was you know whatever. I don't remember what Penn State does, but it was <laughs> it was very it was very cool. It was yeah. very fun. I I didn't really. I guess I hadn't done enough research on Alabama's fans. I hadn't done the scouting report and by the numbers on that front, but I was like, oh, oh, here they go. <laughs> They're doing it. So ton of fun. I mean, Mr. Brightside, they played that Dixieland delight. Uh, the the stadium was packed. It was I I don't know what it was like in the stands, but it certainly felt like on the field between the players, uh, between the programs. Like these are, they're two iconic programs, number one, number two, in wins, uh, and, and two programs that on on New Year's Day really respected each other, um, and and played a fantastic game of football, an emotional game of football, one that when when you see the you know the the Big Ten Network, you know, game in sixty or whatever they do, or they have the Michigan Mondays, yeah. and they're they're re-airing that game is going to make you want to sit down and watch because there were so many moments uh, that will be remembered for a very very long time uh, in Michigan history, regardless of what happens in the national championship game, but certainly even more so if they are able to. <laughs> it matters for they, sure. They get the job done. Um, no question about it. Yeah, it's it's really an incredible game, incredible atmosphere. I think they said it was their highest attendance in a long time as well. Time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In addition to the TV ratings, yeah. So it was. I mean, which you expect. Top four matchup: Michigan, Alabama. Brought out, I would argue, the best in college football. I mean, if you want someone to fall in love with college football, have them watch that game because it's it'd be hard to you'd be hard pressed to find a better embodiment of of you know, what college football, why, why we all love college football than that game. Yeah. The commercial breaks. Well, uh, which there were many. Well, when you rewatch it, you don't have to watch those. As much. <laughs> so you can, you can maybe, maybe skip those or they have less of them. But, but other than that, pretty much a flawless Monday afternoon, the sunset lived up to the hype. The purple hue on the mountains was very cool. And Alejandra had some great photos over at 24 seven sports.com. We've got, between the two of us, we've got a ton of articles over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. You know, I, 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 we mentioned it before, but you get a little bit more access in bowl games. So getting to talk to players one-on-one in the locker room, getting, you know, their, the true story of this play or that play, I guess it allows us to write better stories, but it allows you as a, as a fan or as a listener or reader to understand a little bit more about what the team went through, what the team was thinking in those those key moments, those key plays, those key sequences in the game. So be sure to check all of that out. We'll have some podcast stuff too. I'm sure we'll do at least one Washington Michigan preview. I, I would imagine we might if depending on who we get to talk to or how much we get, uh, and, you know, there might be behind enemy lines, there might be some other episodes to watch out for. So whether it's written or audio or video. Be sure to check it all out at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. For Alejandro Zuniga, I'm Zach Shaw. We will see you in Houston, and we'll see you next time.